You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Everybody up at Melbourne, great to be connecting this morning with you. And so happy for you to be in church today, a special Sunday. We've got Pastor Bayless Conley all the way from California. Of course, Pastor Bayless and Janet Conley have been great friends and are great friends of Marie and I. We just love who they are, love what they stand for, love what God's doing in and through their ministry. And I know that collectively at Life, through all our services today, we're going to be incredibly blessed. So we love you in Melbourne, love you up at North, love you here in Central as well. You could have responded by saying, love you too, Pastor, or something like that. But it's great to be connected. And I'd love every campus. Come on, why don't we stand to our feet as we welcome Pastor Bayless Conley as he comes to share with us here at Life on this great Sunday morning. Give him a real, real warm welcome as he comes. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Go ahead and take a seat. It is wonderful to be back. And hello, North. Hello, Melbourne. Good to see you. Got something for you if you're ready. Um, I am so grateful to uh, be alive. And I was in a real serious boating accident a, a couple of years ago. They didn't expect me to live. And it's only because of the prayers of the saints and the grace of God that I stand here today. So every day is a gift. And if you're one of those that prayed for me, I just want to say thank you very, very much. Well, I do have something on my heart to share with you. If you have your Bible, why don't you open to Acts chapter 9, if you would. Acts the ninth chapter. And we open up with this story about Saul of Tarsus. We know he's a, a bad guy. The Bible says he was breathing out threats and murder against the church. He was literally separating families, dragging husbands off, dragging wives off away from their children, bound, you know, to go to Jerusalem. He's the one that held the garments of those that stoned Stephen, the church's first martyr, to death. And he basically said, look, I I want you guys to have a, you know, a full throw at him, so let let me hold your, your coat so you're not hindered when you crush this guy's skull. He was a bad man. But he had an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, and he was changed. He found the Savior. I'm telling you, Jesus can even change murderers. He has mercy on the worst of us, and I stand at the front of that line as an example of God's mercy. And we pick the story up here in verse 10. It says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias... He said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. I want you to notice it, it refers to Ananias as a disciple. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a prophet. He was just an ordinary believer but he had this posture of spiritual readiness. When the Lord said to Ananias, he said, look, here I am, Lord. You know, he, he was poised, he was listening for direction from the Lord. And the Lord basically told him, Ananias, you are about to become the answer to someone's prayer. Saul is praying right now, and I'm gonna send you as an answer to that prayer. And you know, Ananias didn't say, okay, Lord, I'm on it. His response was actually interesting. Look with me at verse 13. 
Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So he said, Lord, I, I'm not so sure about this. And he kind of began to make excuses. He wasn't sure that, that he wanted to step that far out of his comfort zone. But the truth is, when we assume a posture of readiness, almost always the Lord will take us out of our comfort zone. It can't be, Lord, I'm ready, but don't let it be hard. Lord, I'm ready, but don't let it be in, inconvenient or, or unpopular. Lord, certainly don't let it be dangerous or boring. And Lord, please don't let this be expensive or unusual. Think about the rich young ruler. You know, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus talks to him, nails the guy, figures out where he is, says, look, you need to sell all your goods, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and follow me. And he went away sorrowful. He was thinking it was gonna be something he wanted to do. And when we assume this posture that says, Lord, here I am, get ready to be pulled out of your comfort zone. And I love it in verse 15, Jesus said to him, go. And in verse 17, it said, Ananias went. And because an ordinary disciple, a believer obeyed God, it changed the course of history because he went when Jesus said go, because he became the answer to someone's prayer. Saul became, of course, uh, the apostle Paul who evangelized the known world, established churches, and wrote more than half of the New Testament that, that we feed upon spiritually every day. Because someone was willing to be an answer to prayer. You know, I never heard the gospel till I was in my 20s. I'm sure I worked with Christians. I'm sure that uh, I must have gone to school with Christians, but never <clears throat> did anyone tell me about Jesus. And I got involved in a, a lifestyle of pretty serious substance abuse and alcoholism at a very young age. I left home as a teenager. My mother cried herself to sleep every night. Her and dad didn't know if I was alive or dead. In fact, my dad disowned me. You'd ask him if he had children. He'd say, well, yeah, I have a daughter. And he'd mention my sister, but I didn't, I didn't exist to him anymore. It's because I had hurt their heart so many times and so deeply. And um, I was looking for the truth, but in all the wrong places. And I was in a park one day. I was living in Oregon. It's the state that sits right above California. I was in a park one day. I'd had a really bad experience the night before on drugs in typical fashion, I tend to, to if I'm into something, I, I kind of go all in. And I was that way with drugs and things. And somebody gave me enough drugs, I was supposed to distribute them to about 10 people, but instead I took them all myself. And I had a very bad night, luckily lived through the night. And the next day I was really depressed and walking through this park. And I won't give you the entirety of that story, but I was thinking about Jesus as a sort of a guru someone to pattern your life after as a, as a, a good man, someone died, who died as a token for his fellow men. But I, I didn't know he was alive. I didn't know he was the son of God. And a 12-year-old boy came up to me and asked me if I knew who Jesus was. First time I'd ever heard the gospel. And I'd been thinking about Jesus. It rocked my world. And I'd like to tell you I got saved right away. I didn't. I actually met his family, his mother, his two sisters. And I began to spend some time with them and became increasingly convinced that there must be something about Jesus, but I didn't do anything about it. I moved down to the nation of Mexico, was living in the capital city down there, doing a lot of uh, illegal activities. It's a good thing I didn't end up in prison. And uh, 
I became so miserable down there, had everything I thought would make me happy. There was all the girls, all of the money, all of the drugs, everything we wanted. But I was empty inside. And I told my partners, I said, look, I'm out of here. And uh, so I drove all the way back. It was like 4,000 kilometers. I went on a beer fast. I bought a case of quarts and just drank beer for 4,000 kilometers. I'd pick up hitchhikers, hand them a quart. And uh, ended up back in Oregon, looked those people up and began to ask more questions. And I became convinced that there had to be something about Jesus. But I had questions that I didn't have answers for. Some of them, you know, justice questions. All right, Jesus, if you're the only way, if this is true, then what about this? And what about these people? And I had no answers. And I would tell my friends, I think there's something about this Jesus. But they, they would hit me with questions and I had no answers. And I was so frustrated. And I was staying with some friends in the mountains. They lived back along a dirt road that was, there wasn't another home for kilometers. And uh, I went out late one night, laid across the bonnet of my truck and looked up into the starry sky all by myself. And it's the first time in my life I ever remember praying. I said, God, if this is true, Jesus is your son. If he's really the only way of salvation, what about this? And I asked God a question and I listened and I got no answer. The heavens were brass and I began to cry. And I asked God another question and I listened and I got no answer. And I became angry and I was crying and I began to yell at God and I yelled another question and there was no answer. And I yelled another question and there was no answer. I wiped the tears off my face, slid off the bonnet of the truck and I went into the house and fell asleep on my friend's couch. And the next day, something amazing happened to me. God spoke to me. I don't know how I knew it was God, but I intuitively recognized it as the voice of God speaking in my heart. He said, I want you to go to Ramona's house. It was the mother of that little boy. So I drove across town, went to their house, and they're all packing up, getting ready to go somewhere. I said, where are you going? They said, we're going to the next town over, to Medford to a, a street mission there. God speaks to me a second time standing in their kitchen. And I knew it was God. In my heart, I heard him as clear as anything I've ever heard. He said, I want you to go with him. And you think the second time a man has ever heard God speak, he would obey, but instead I, I argued. Internally, I said, no, I don't think I want to do that. I said, God, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. <laughs> Just in my heart, I said, I'll make you a deal. If they invite me to go, I'll go. At that exact moment, Ramona wheels around, points at me, says, Bay, will you go with us? I said, okay, all right. <laughs> so we went, street missions full of derelicts, homeless people, drug addicts, I was right at home. And um, sitting on the front row of the pair of skin-tight, bright orange pants with big yellow stripes down the side. And uh, a little sweatshirt on and my arms crossed with a bless me if you can attitude. I had long, long hair, I used to wear feathers in it, I had a long red beard. And uh, they're gonna have testimonies, I have no idea what that means, no idea. There's this giant wooden lectern and this little woman, you know, looked more like a fire plug, walked up there, almost disappeared behind the lectern. And instead of giving a testimony, she begins to quote word for word. The first question I'd asked God the night before, laying across the bonnet of my truck, and then shared the answer from the scriptures and I started to cry. And then a guy gets up after her to testify, but instead he quotes the second question. I'd asked God the night before and then shares the answer from the Bible. A third person gets up and they quoted the questions that I shouted at God. 
share the answers from the Bible. By this time, I'm on the front row. I am sobbing uncontrollably. I realized I've been set up. <laughs> that night, I gave my life to Christ. People laid hands on me. I was set free from drug addiction. It's been over 40 years. But what I want you to see is God answered my prayer, but he did it through people. He could have sent an angel, he could have written it in the sky, but those things are the rare, rare, rare exceptions. God uses people. And there are people praying right now that you know, people that you don't know, saying, God, if you're real, if you're real, show me, I need help. There are people in need of encouragement and God is searching for the body of Christ, just searching to and fro, looking for someone to say, here I am, Lord. Someone that's willing to be involved in the miraculous. Someone that wants to become the answer to another person's prayer. And you know, God is interested in the individual. If we took time to read it in Acts chapter 8, Philip is in the city of Samaria. God has used him to fan a full-blown revival into flame. There's, there's salvations, there's healings, there's water baptisms, there's baptisms in the Holy Spirit. Philip has to be thinking, man, I'm gonna get myself a staff. I'm gonna get a building for a headquarters. We need to start a radio program. I need to start a newsletter. And the Lord said to him, no, you need to leave. You need to go out toward Gaza, toward the desert. And he leaves this, this, this raging revival and goes out to the desert and there's a Ethiopian eunuch there whose heart has been crying out for the truth. And the Lord said, overtake that chariot. And he's reading from Isaiah the prophet's prophetic scriptures about Christ. Philip says, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? He said, how can I? Let someone help me. And from the same scriptures, he preached Jesus to him. He got saved and he baptized him in water. God cares about the individual. In Acts chapter 10, Peter walked a two-day journey to become the answer to the prayer of Cornelius. Are we willing to become the answer to someone's prayer? You know, 2 Corinthians 6 and 16 says, God walks in us and dwells in us. If God answers prayer, he's gonna do it through his people. You know, when I was in Bible college, it's coming near the end of, of time and I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do with my life and I don't know where I got the thought, but somehow I had adopted this philosophy that whatever I didn't wanna do, that's what God wanted me to do. Whatever I hated, I was sure that's what God wanted. I went to this little Pentecostal church, they would dance and prance up in the front. I thought, okay, that's the last thing I wanna do, so I'm in. Jesus, you've given your all for me, so I get up and dance and prance with everybody in the front. Just whatever it was, I just figured, okay, you know, Jesus, I'm holding nothing back from you. And I've always hated being cold. And so I just figured, all right, the coldest place in the world, that's where God wants me to go. So I said, okay, God, I'm going to Siberia. I'm going, going to Siberia. And I was planning on doing it, but I was struggling in my heart. Something wasn't right. And I'd think about warm places and I'd rebuke the devil. And then a pastor's wife rang me up one day. said, Bayless, and I really respected her and her husband. She said, the Lord tell me to tell you something. The Lord says, stop squelching those desires that are coming up in your heart. They're from me. I said, is that it? She said, yeah. I said, okay. Didn't know what she meant. 
So I grabbed my Bible, went to a local park and read it most of the afternoon, sat on a, a picnic bench and then just walked and prayed. And all of a sudden I had an epiphany. You see, these desires had been coming up in me to go back to California and start a church. And whenever that desire came up, I said, get behind me, Satan. You're not going to tempt me. I resist you in Jesus' name. I'm going to Siberia. <laughs> and it's like those birthday candles you try and blow out, and then it lights up again. It would come back again. I said, get behind me, Satan. I resist you in Jesus' name. I'm giving my all for Jesus. And I resisted it and resisted it. And I suddenly realized those desires had come from God. And I said, God, don't you know I like California? Don't you know it's warm there? And I had a complete paradigm shift in my theology. I realized that God gives us the grace to enjoy what he calls us to do. He wires us up and gives us to do the things that he's called us to do, but God brought that answer through a person. That same lady one day, she's driving through a little town called San Jacinto, it's in Southern California. There's an old, I think it was a Presbyterian church there, and as she's driving by, she just felt like she should stop. She parked across the street under some trees, said, Lord, what is it? And she felt like the Lord gave her a completely empty, found a door, said, Pastor, study, she knocked. Guy opens the door, she says, I'm sorry, I'm looking for the pastor. He said, well, that'd be me. She said, well, um, I think God told me to tell you something. And he just rolled his eyes like, okay, another crazy person. And it was almost like, oh, let's get this over with. Come in, sit down. And he's like, yeah. And she tells him what God had told her. His eyes got big and he put his head down on the desk and he began to sob. And after a minute of crying really hard, he looks up at her and says, are, are, are you an angel? It was so specific and so spot on, so life-giving, he literally thought she was an angel. It's like the family, they'd run out of groceries. The little boy kept saying, Mama, I'm hungry. Mama, I'm hungry. You hush, God will take care of us. God always takes care of us. Mom, I'm hungry. What are we having for dinner? We don't have any food right now, honey. But God will take care of us. You hush. A little while later, a local pastor rocks up at the door with a bag full of groceries. He'd heard there was a family in need. Went in, set this huge bag of beautiful groceries down on the table. And the little boy looked at the groceries, looked at the pastor, and he said, Mister, are you God? Because when we become the answer to someone's prayer, my friend, it is holy. And it's as if an angel from God or God himself walked up and answered their prayer personally because in a sense, he did. He walks in us and dwells in us. And God wants to use us to lift people and to help people. Look with me at Acts chapter three, a very familiar story. But I want to consider a couple things. Acts three, beginning in verse one. It says, now... Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. Now this guy's been laid at this 
entrance to the temple for years and years, every day. They laid him daily, and he's been this way, in this condition, his whole life. How many times do you think he prayed? He would have known all the Bible stories. He knew that God, that, that Abraham prayed and God healed Abimelech in his household. He knew that when Israel partook of the Passover lamb, when they left the land of Egypt, there wasn't one weak, weak or feeble person among their tribes. The greatest mass healing in history took place in connection with that Passover lamb. He knew Elisha had raised the dead boy to life. He knew about the healing of Naaman the Syrian. How many times had he prayed? Oh God. We don't know, but we certainly know he did pray. In verse 4 it says, speaking of Peter, fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And of course, we know the story. He got up completely healed. Peter and John were just going to the temple of the hour of prayer, something they did every day. It was just part of their normal routine. When you're going to buy nappies for your baby, when you're talking to your kid's teacher, when you're picking your car up from the shop, when you're eating lunch next to somebody in school, be sensitive, be ready. Listen, God will use your eyes. It says Peter fixing his eyes on him. I think there's more to that than just that Peter looked his way. I think all of us have had it happen. There's been a crowd of people and suddenly our eyes are fixed upon a certain person. Suddenly someone stands out in bold relief to us from the crowd. God will use your eyes if you're sensitive. And when that happens, you need to say, Lord, you have a blessing for this person. Is there something I need to say? Is there something that I need to give? Is there something that I can do? You may never be 100% sure. Frankly, some of the greatest miracles happen when we act upon the flimsiest of impressions. Almost like a wisp of perfume you catch on the breeze, it's there and it's gone. It's like, God, was that you? You'll never know if you don't step out. You'll never know if you don't step out. And I was, uh, I'd come back to California, was a bit frustrated. This is right after I got saved, nothing was happening. So I just said, God, with your permission, I'm going to the local rest homes. And uh, we call, I don't know what you call them. We call them rest homes. It's where, where they'll put old people that, that, you know, need care. And some of them are completely abandoned. The family members don't visit them. They have no one. And so I, I went up to the desk. I said, listen, um, I can play guitar and sing. I'd just like to visit some of the old people. Could you, so, use, could you use someone like me? They grabbed me by the collar and said, yes, get in here. And so for a year, three days a week, I went into the local rest home. And I learned all the old songs, bringing in the sheaves and in the garden. And I would walk down the hallways and play my guitar and sing. And I'd go in the rooms and I'd hold those wrinkled old hands and I'd pray with them. And I'd read Bible stories to him. And I enlisted one of my friends. He started coming to help me. And we're praying one day. Spend a time in prayer before we're going to go to the rest home. And as we're praying, I had a vision. And I saw a hospital room number. And I intuitively knew it was the Los Alamitos Hospital, which is right across the street from the rest home. 
And I remember thinking how odd it was because it was a large number. I thought, this is a tiny hospital. They can't possibly have that many rooms. I didn't say anything to my friend, but we got in the car, I said, let's go. And instead of turning right into the rest home, I turned left into the hospital parking lot. I said, what are you doing? I said, just go with it. We went in and sure enough, I found that room number. And as we're standing outside, a nurse comes out the door. She said, what are you doing? I said, I have to go in that room. She said, you can't go in that room. I said, I have to go in that room. She said, you can't. I said, I must go in that room. She said, okay, but be quick. <laughs> and she walked on down the hallway. We went in. There was a woman asleep in the bed. She was the only one in the room. I didn't want to disturb her. I didn't know what to do. So I grabbed my friend's, friend's hand and said, let's pray. We just began to pray softly. And that woman sat straight up in bed and said, who are you? You scared me. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're going to think about this, but I was praying and God showed me your room number. She said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I knew God was going to send somebody. I knew God was going to send somebody. You pray for me. Lay your hands on me and God's going to heal me. She'd had open heart surgery, but things had gone wrong and she was going downhill. We laid hands on her and prayed on her, prayed for her. I went back three days later and, and she'd actually recovered and been released from hospital. God wants to use us to be the answer to someone's prayers. And you know what? Some, there are some benefits in doing it, personal benefits. Number one, the more you listen and respond, the more you become aware of the voice and promptings of the Holy Spirit. You know, one night I was praying about a message and, and it was based on a really obscure scripture. And I put the message together and it's like midnight at home and I'm thinking, God, are you sure? You know, I've got to preach this the next day, but I'm just really, this is, this is an obscure scripture. I'm just not sure about this. I've got my phone on the bed. All of a sudden my phone goes off, New Zealand. I look down, it's a friend, Murray Tom. He said, just felt led to send you this. And he, he texts me that same obscure scripture. I said, okay, God, I think I will preach this message. <laughs> Became an answer to my prayer. You become more sensitive to his voice the more that you respond and the more that you listen. Secondly, there's an inner satisfaction that comes when you obey God. You know, Jesus, after ministering to that woman, you know, at the Samaritan well, he said, I, I said to the disciples, I have foods you don't know anything about. My inner satisfaction comes from doing the will of my Father. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Like I said, God's just looking for someone. He might think, but I, I've got needs myself. Well, that brings us to the third benefit. When you become an answer to people's prayers, it always comes back to you. It's always measured back. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. There's people crying out for help, and God is looking for someone he can use. You know, we used to have a guy in church, and... He's kind of like the weird cousin that everybody has. We, we would say his elevator didn't quite make it to the top floor. He had some mental challenges, but we loved him. He was part of the family, but, but sometimes we'd have to rein him back and say, look, you, you can't do that anymore. And he would just say off the wall things and inappropriate things. And I remember one day I went up and the secretary says, pastor, you've got to keep him out of the office. He's starting to scare us. And so I said, look, you know, you, 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 you're talking about things that are not appropriate to talk about in front of women. He said, oh, I, I didn't know, Pastor, I'm sorry. You know, he was good-hearted, but just, just didn't quite get things. 
I remember one day after service, I'm greeting people at the door, shaking their hands, and instead of shaking my hand, he grabs my arm, wheels me around, and says, look, pastor, look at the clouds. And I look up in the clouds, and nice clouds. He said, no, 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 there's numbers in the clouds. I see numbers in the clouds. I said, okay, okay. He was like that all the time. And one day, he shows up at church with Eve. I think it's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Found out later, I think she'd won the Miss California pageant. She was gorgeous. And I'm thinking, how did she end up with him? <laughs> and when I gave the invitation at the end of service, she actually responded and gave her life to Christ. So service is over, people are milling around, and I went up to her and said, hey, great decision you made. You know, Jesus, your life has changed. You've got a... a a whole new life in front of you. And I said, if you don't mind me asking, how, how, how did you end up with our, our friend here today? She said, well, it's funny that you asked, Pastor. She said, my whole life I've been raised to believe there was no God. My parents were atheists. They told me my whole life since I was a little girl that there's no such thing as God. She said, I was at the beach yesterday sitting on my blanket. She said, and I suddenly had the thought, what if mom and dad were wrong? What if there is a God? She said, the very first time in my life ever I prayed, sitting on the blanket on the beach, I said, God, if you're real, will you show me? She said, one minute later, this guy came up to me and said, did you know God is real? <laughs> yeah, it was Mr. I saw it in the clouds. God will use anyone that is available. He wants to use you. Has someone been on your heart? Have you been thinking about somebody? Maybe you should call them. You know, I was praying during, we, we, I just uh, got through doing a New Zealand Beyond conference and one of the sessions we prayed and guy came up in my heart. He used to go to our church, got divorced, away from God, haven't seen him in years and years and years. And I felt like I should call him. So I looked him up and I rang him day before yesterday, we had such a conversation, just trying to get him back in the kingdom. And he's already called me back. I was unable to answer, but uh, it's opened up a channel where his heart is open to receive from God. Has there been someone on your heart? Or do you know about a need someone has? Have you prayed about being the answer to that need? Maybe God wants to use you to meet that need. I think we just need to take on that, that posture of readiness that says, Lord, here I am. It's like Isaiah, the Lord said, who can I send, who will go for us? And Isaiah steps up and says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Let's just pray for a moment right now. Just bow your heads, just, just for a moment. Let, let's, let's just pray that. Heavenly Father, we know you're scanning your church. You're looking for someone that's willing to step out of their comfort zone and be a, an answer to prayer. And we just say, look no further, Lord. Here we are. Send us. Use us. I just ask, maybe God will put someone on your heart right now. Show us, Lord.
to us, Lord. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.